Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. We get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies, books, you name it. If you like what I do here, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash Aaron Frail. You'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support. Go ahead and also reach out to me at Aaron's Horror Show at gmail.com, Aaron Horror Show on Twitter, or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail. All right, we got some more Touristic U Chronicles for you today. This is part two of part three of the Touristic U Chronicles called Hayden's Mistake. All right, here we go. The next day, Hayden was on a troop transport on its way out of the city. The transports had a max altitude of 1,000 meters, so Hayden got to see the landscape below. The city disappeared quickly, revealing the wilderness. Unlike Earth, where only the wealthy owned trees, there was massive forest growth right beyond the walls of the city. The Negromodians stacked their cities to avoid building into the forest. Humans adapted environments to fit them. The Negromodians adapted to fit the environment. The transport skimmed over the impenetrable woods. They were low enough that the trees rustled as they flew past. A variety of species lived in the forest. It was the most diverse population of plants Hayden had ever seen. Even in Colorado, there wasn't much diversity. Lots of plants and animals died off over the years on Earth. A few that survived were genetically engineered to grow in the more simplistic ecosystem. The Rocky Mountains only had a few type of trees left. Below, there were probably hundreds, if not thousands, of species. Why don't you think those nigs expanded in the forest? Spider pondered. The whole damn city is crowded, and they have all this land they ain't using. They respect the land, Sarge said. They plant a tree for everyone they cut down, clear cutting. Even a part of the forest is one hell of a lot of trees. And I think those humans at the core worlds pack so close together. Why aren't there any more humans around here? Sarge chuckled. You'll see them soon enough once the miners go home to their families and start telling stories about this world. You can't stop human expansion. Did you hear? Spider said. Touristicues won't stop until they've taken everyone's home. Meanwhile, most nigs live in luxury while I'm in a damn tent. You secure that shit, 
Sarge scolded Spider. Hayden turned towards the open bay doors to watch the scenery pass by. In the evening, when the sun was setting, casting a reddish-orange glow over the landscape and refracting off the clouds in a bright, brilliant display of colors, they arrived at the mining operations. There was a giant hole dug into the ground to extract the decorand. The plants near operations were withered and dying. The trees were diseased, the shrubs were wilted, and the grass was brown. The blight extended from the holes to the landscape beyond. What's wrong with the trees? Hayden asked. Not sure, Sarge said. It happens in all the mining sites. In the decimation, there was a town made up of portable gray buildings. The only permanent structure was operations itself. The rest of the town looked as if it was dropped in overnight. The temporary buildings dotted the dusty field. There was various high-tech equipment scattered around. A rubble pile of discarded ore wasn't fit for use formed a hill in the distance. There was even a couple of volleyball nets set up for recreation. Operations was the center of it all, and it was the only permanent structure in the entire place. It was a several-story building in the heart of the portables. Some of the computer equipment was too sensitive for portables, so they had built a structure to run the show. There was also various scanners and antennae on the building. The transport circled for its final approach, and Hayden and the rest of the troops geared up. Once their helmets were secure, they jumped from the ship when it stopped about 50 feet from the ground. They all landed with a crash, and their boots made indention in the dirt. Sard led them through to mining operations. It was a three-story building with various labs and workstations inside. A few unarmored civilians with standard-issue exoskeletons entered and exited the building. Thank God you're here, one of the men said, who had come from the building to meet them. The man was wearing a button-up shirt and a tie. He was sweating profusely, and it looked as if every part of him was straining to keep up with gravity. He was a civilian who probably never left an office and was marking off the days for when he could return to a more Earth-like gravity planet. A, a Krikshek beast has been rampaging a couple clicks from here. It's disrupting mining operations. Is that all? You can't take care of a Krikshek, Sarge said. There's also a, a, a village. They refuse to move, the man said. We got all the paperwork. It's all legal. Their new development even has running water in a school. We even built each family a modern house, but they want to keep their stupid grass huts. You know how they are about their land, Sarge said. I'll see what I can do. I don't care what you do, the man said. I got quotas, and I want them gone. Yes, sir, Sarge said. Hayden could hear the disdain in Sarge's voice. No one liked the suits, the corporate goons with the suits and ties, though most only wore button-up shirts these days. The soldiers had to deal with them because they were paying the military's bill. Hayden could tell Sarge didn't have any respect for the man, but knew the game well. When someone higher up smells like shit, compliment them on their new cologne. Those with money made the rules. Even Hayden knew that. Sarge turned to the group and ordered them to bed down for the night. Tomorrow they were going to have a chat with the village elder. Tonight they would be sleeping in company barracks. They were small but efficient units. The squad had their space, and soon Sarge left for the night to stay in his private unit. The others began complaining. Tony's a blowhard, Spider said. Yeah, I hate that guy, Firestorm added. Tomhawk was silent as usual. Hayden attempted to join the conversation. Who's Tony? Hayden asked. He's the suit, noob, Spider said. 
Firestorm closed the circle of conversation to exclude Hayden from their talk. His mistake in the city alienated him from the others. Even Tomahawk, who had only said a few words to Hayden before, had nothing to say to him now. Hayden tried to not let it get to him. He went over to his bunk and sat down. He unhooked his computer, pad from his suit charging in the corner, and browsed the library. He fell asleep reading a book he had selected, which also proved to be a mistake. Hayden jumped out of his armor the moment he put his leg in the next day. The others were screaming with laughter when Hayden bounced around the room holding his calf. When he had removed the pad last night, he had forgot to lock down his armor. He intended to lock it when he had returned the pad, but he never got a chance because he fell asleep while reading. The others decided on a little payback, so they put a Philistash leech in his armor. The Philistash leech was a painful creature, not only because the chemicals on its skin created a burning sensation on human flesh, but the effects also lasted for days. Hayden doubled over while his calf felt like it was on fire. He peeled the leech from his skin and his hands began to burn. Watching the group only laugh harder, the laughter was cut short when Sarge entered the room and crushed the squirming leech with his giant boot. Everyone shut up and stood like a child, with an angry father bearing down at them. Sarge walked up to Hayden and said, Why aren't you in your armor? No excuse, sir, Hayden said. He tried not to curl his hands in pain. The burning was intense, and there were two red raw spots where he had come in contact with the leech. Sarge barked out the punishment, and Hayden had to endure the torture a bit longer. After dropping for twenty agonizing push-ups, Hayden scrambled to put on his armor. Once he was fully suited up, the armor detected pain and began to inject painkillers in the spots where the leech left its chemical cocktail. You're up front with Spider, Sarge said. Spider gripped his marching partner and they set off into the forest. They were going towards the village. They would get to the Crickshek tomorrow. When they walked far enough from the mining site, Hayden could see the forest life begin to replace the dead wood. At first it was a bush here and there, then the landscape began to change to a thick canopy with intense undergrowth. The forest was alive with sounds and noises. There were so many different creatures, bugs, and plants. Even the Colorado Rockies didn't have this much variety. Most of the plants and animals left on Earth were maintained by humans, even in the wilderness areas. About 95% of the species of plants and animals from Earth were extinct from human activity. At first, it was overhunting. Birds like the passenger pigeon were wiped out for food, but humans realized they needed to set limits. The next species to go was the mosquito, because its bite caused disease. They were eradicated when genetically modified male versions were released in the wild to provide unviable offspring. Soon, species that were considered a nuisance to humans were modified to kill themselves. Important species of the ecological whole were removed. The other species who used bugs like the cockroach as a source of food began to die. The bees died from environmental disasters. Pesticide engineered into the plants caused hives to collapse. There was always a technological solution to fill the gaps. Tiny drones would pollinate plants but only the ones humans used, like fruit trees. The other plants were lost because they began to die out without the proper bug to pollinate them. More food sources died, causing more species to go extinct. The extinction cycle caused by humans didn't happen all at once. It wasn't a mass extinction caused by an asteroid impact. It was a subtle event that happened over hundreds and hundreds of years. 
An orchid kept alive by drones would die because a trust for an orchid would run out of funds and the pollinator drones would be shut down. A bug that laid its egg in the orchid would die when the last of their home withered. A bird that fed on the bug would die. Earth lost its biodiversity, not with a big event, but with a slow eroding of the species. By Hayden's time, the Colorado Rockies were a manufactured wilderness, kept alive by a public trust. Unlike the travelers of the past, there were no bugs in your tent or threat of a black bear getting into the food supply. There was no fishing because there were no fish. The trees were abundant and similar. It was nothing like Negromoto. Hayden saw the wilderness for the first time. Just as quickly as the wilderness started, Hayden encountered an odd sight. There were rows of newly constructed houses in a clearing in the woods. It looked as if a developer came in the night to create a town. There was a meeting hall, a school, and even a main street. It was designed like a typical small town from Earth's past. Hayden had only encountered via holographic walkthroughs in the school. Hayden felt like he was stepping into the past with one big difference. The town was made for tribal Negrobodians. The Negrobodians were like any other civilization before the invention of interstellar travel. There were pockets of people who lived like their ancestors because the forces of civilization were too distant to affect their daily life. They may receive aid from the city, and, and much of them wore second-hand city-dweller clothing. However, the same force of nature that let the tribal Negromodians go untouched by their culture was also the exact reason why the human culture came to Negromoto, the Decrant. The Negromodians, like humans, created their civilization near water. Not only was it a source of life, but also a source of trade and idea exchange. It was no wonder Earth's largest cities and most influential places were all located near the ocean. The harbor brought them the wealth and the ideas. It wasn't until the invention of flight and motorized transportation that a city could have risen without access to a waterway. And by then, all the most powerful cities had a 100-year head start. Negromoto was like Earth in a lot of ways. Seaside villages prospered and turned into towns, then turned into cities. However, unlike Earth, democracy was an innate form of government. They always consulted everyone, debated issues, and reached group consensus. They were slow to adapt and change, but Negromoto didn't have a violent history as a result. The people who didn't want to join the cultures near the oceans were left alone until humans came. Dekren deposits were always inland in the mountainous areas. Dekren promoted intense forest growth. The wildlife adapted to use granular amounts in the soil as a nutrient. The plants became hardy and the wildlife even hardier. Building cities and large civilization in the deep woods was difficult at best and near impossible with what would be the equivalent of 20th century earth technology. So the tribal villages didn't grow like their ocean counterparts. While the occasional worker, social worker, and television crew would venture out to see them, the villagers didn't see much activity until recently. The humans, or touristicus as commonly referred to by the villagers, set up operations shortly after the Liberation Wars. They brought a large machinery and workers from many different species. Soldiers patrolled to keep order. The locals were well compensated by Earth standards. A small village and a single family dwelling would be expensive and rare. Most people who lived on Earth lived in giant buildings housing thousands of people. People had to pay for space because there was so little of it. On Negromoto, the villagers were given so much space in exchange for the land underneath their feet that they lived like kings when compared to the average dwelling for a human. Now that Hayden saw the village, he could scarcely believe it. The oddest part was that it was empty. 
There was no one living there. It was a new ghost town. The Nigs aren't grateful for what they got. Look at all this, and they want to live in a grass hut? Spider said to Hayden. Nigs live better than humans, and they treat us like we're the bad guys. We saved them from the Shusharian Collective. They could be slaves mining their planet until it was dust. At least we gave it back to them when we're done. In better condition when we got here, I might add. Hayden had seen all the videos before. A fleet descended on the idyllic planet. The population enslaved or destroyed. The Shusharian overlords terrorized the galaxy and the humans were one of the few races to stand up to them. The Liberation Wars spanned many planets and many systems. Earth was too deep to see any war up close, but there were interactive holograms, video games, and much media about the conflict. The Shusharians were a multi-raced coalition with dreams of conquest. The humans put a stop to their advancement, but didn't topple them entirely. The border was only a few light years away from Nicarboto. Not that they would attack, the Shusharian Collective and the UP settled on a comfortable stalemate with heavily armed borders. The Nigromodians were just another pre-interstellar flight civilization caught in the war. Hayden understood why they would be upset. He just didn't understand why they didn't know how bad it could have been had the humans not won control of the planet. Hayden also assumed the wounds were too fresh. Parents who fought in the war told their children's stories. Either way, Hayden felt their discomfort. No matter how many times they were told that humans weren't an occupying force but a peacekeeping force, Hayden still felt like the occupier. That's enough, Sarge barked. The village ain't far now. Hayden continued to walk. He wanted to get out of the empty town as soon as possible. It made him uneasy. The empty houses looked like they were watching him, forlorn, and abandoned. A few hours later, they came across a village. There were multi-storied structures with thatched roofs built in a semicircle around a common area. There was a field for sporting events and even a school. It didn't have running water or electricity. The thatched roofs needed repair every year. The villagers were milling about doing various tasks when they arrived. Their hair ranged from different shades of blue, silver, and orange. Hayden had heard about the wild Nicarbodians who weren't yet touched by civilization. He heard that they fought fiercely and lived violently. They had short, brutal lives. Now that he was seeing the people for the first time, he couldn't understand where their rumors came from. They seemed peaceful and passive, nothing like he was led to believe. As he approached, the Negromodians seemed nervous. The children were hidden from sight, and most of them did not make eye contact. Sarge said, I needed fan out in twos. You are here to inform them they will have to move in two days, and it's not an option. The squad signaled their understanding of the order, and Hayden did as directed. While Sarge spoke with an infirmed elder who could barely hobble to the square, Hayden wandered to a house with Spider. He knocked on the door. A woman answered. Her skin was dark green, and she had bright blue hair. She was beautiful. Hi, uh, we're here to inform you that there's a new place, Hayden began. Spider pushed past Hayden into the house. Stop being such a pansy, man. This ain't their house anymore. He walked into the front room and looked around. They were in a great room that had a kitchen, a living room, and a dining area. It was made for a lot of people because the Negromodians usually lived with their extended families. Aunts, uncles, and their children all lived in one roof. There were six children huddled in the corner. They shook with fear and whimpered. Look what we have here. Hayden charged into the house. 
Spider caressed the face of one of the youngest. Ain't you a cute one? We will not leave! The woman who answered the door yelled, Get out of my house! Oh yeah? Spider grabbed the kid and yanked him from the others. The child yowled from the pain. You want me to move you? Because I will. He threw the kid down and the woman knelt on the floor. The child wept while she stroked his head. Come on, Spider, Hayden intervened. There's a better way to go about doing this. You bet there ass there are better ways. How about I shoot each one of you who don't leave? Please, the woman pleaded. You're scaring the children. Spider lifted the woman from the ground and pushed himself against her. He ran his hands through her hair. I'll tell you what. How about we go to the bedroom and I'll give you some extra days. Stop! Hayden grabbed Spider's arm and pulled it away. You best take your hands off of me before you lose it. Before Hayden could say anything, Sarge burst through the door. He screamed at both of them. I said inform, not force. Relations are strained enough. We don't need you two causing us any more trouble. It was Hayden's idea, sir. Spider threw Hayden under the transport. Come again, Sarge said with a level of incredulity. Hayden knew that either way he answered, he'd be screwed. If he told Sarge what happened, they'd both be punished. And Spider would paint a target on Hayden's back. If Hayden took the fall, maybe at least have Spider's goodwill. Rather than earn the scorn of two men, Hayden elected to tell a lie. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. I, I misunderstood the order. Sarge berated Hayden for his indiscretion. Spider smiled and gave Hayden the thumbs up. Tonight would involve hauling large mining equipment while the others rested. It wasn't until hours after the others fell asleep that Hayden was allowed to finish his tasks. Sarge ordered Hayden to come get some rest, as they'd be moving out tomorrow to find the Kirkshuk beast. Hayden's muscles were sore, his back ached, and even though he was genetically enhanced and the suit provided extra power, he still had to work his muscles to lift 2,000-pound ore canisters, and it took a toll on his body. Back at camp, Sarge was the only one awake. He had removed his helmet and was chewing on a cigar. Hayden removed his and looked up at the sky. The stars were out, and the moons were in various stages of waxing and waning. The stars were abundant, and unlike the city where he would be lucky to see a planet, the Milky Way even crossed the sky, even though it was a different location than he had seen back in the Colorado on Earth. As if Sarge was echoing his thoughts, You can't see this anywhere on Earth. Hell, you're lucky if you can see the moon poking through a skyscraper. Not in the Rockies, sir. You can see the stars in the Rockies. You've been to the Rockies? Sarge laughed. <laughs> yes, sir. My dad didn't sell his visitor's pass. <laughs> My father sold his, bent it on booze. Sarge spat. Hayden felt a little awkward. Sarge was a little too forthcoming. Almost none of the others knew anything about him. It was like he wanted the others to know nothing. You from Earth? Kansas City, best barbecue on the planet. What are the chances of two Earthlings being in the same squad? There's so many worlds, so many human settlements. Don't let sentiment go to your head. The Earth's a shithole. Out here, though. No, never thought I'd find a place where I want to retire. Sir, you never mind that. You get some rest. We're going hunting tomorrow. Kirkshek Beast has been spotted and we'll take it out. And trust me, you don't have your wits about you, then your ashes will be going home to your folks. Yes, sir. Sarge spat and chewed a cigar some more. Hayden looked into the stars one last time before he went into the temporary shelter. All right. That was more Touristic Chronicles. I hope you enjoy. Don't forget to 
enjoy the other stuff we have on the Real Paranormal Activity Network. We got videos. We got podcasts. We got real stories from you. We got Terry that says a bunch of cool stuff. We have me with some stories. And then also you could watch fiction, ghost hunting shows, uh, paranormal stuff. Hey, it's real paranormal activity, right? Uh, cool. And also, if you like the Touristic U Chronicles, please leave a review on Amazon. It helps me out immensely. And, uh, also, uh, Patreon stuff. Uh, cool. Alright, well, have a good night. 